Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. While I was on vacation, I was doing my Old Testament reading, and, and I was in the book of Second Chronicles, and and which is the tailgate of the story of the kings. And so I read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. And I was, during vacation time, I was in that last part of, the, of 2 Chronicles. And it never fails to amaze me of the, the stories of the kings and how some really served God and others didn't. And at many times, you know, it'll tell it very clearly when you first start to read about them and say, well, that one did that which was right in the sight of God, and this one did not do that which was right in the sight of God. But if you really look at some of them, that, you know, some of them are really were great kings, such as Josiah and how he brought the revival and different things like that. But if you pay close attention when you're reading and, and about the kings, you can tell sometimes that you can pinpoint the moment that their relationship with God went south. You can look at it and you can see at that moment of opportunity, that moment of temptation, whatever it might be, you can actually pinpoint it in somebody's life, in in those kings' life. I'm a firm believer that we can look at other people's lives and we can can gain things from their lives. Proverbs 9.9 says this, Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. It says, if you're wise, you will get wiser by getting instruction. In Proverbs 18.15, it says, The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seek knowledge. And then Proverbs 22.3, it says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, it gives us this thought and this ideal That if I'm paying attention, if I want to grow, if I want to learn something and grow in wisdom, I can pay attention and grow in that. And this is what I feel expressed when we look at the lives of the kings of Israel, that we can actually grow in wisdom and knowledge and help us in our walk toward Jesus Christ and our walk with God. Because we we can gain wisdom and knowledge by the examples of others. Paul had this ideal in thought. Paul said this, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul had that ideal in thinking down and encouraging us to follow others' examples that are godly and those that will lead us to Christ. And then we also find in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are told to follow the example of Christ. Did you know we, I, I listened to Pastor Oliver's message, we are on a journey. Amen? And while we're here on this earth, we're on a journey to become Christ-like. We're on a mission to be more like Him. Less like ourselves and more like Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the mission of a Christian. It isn't just about getting saved and missing hell, but it's actually to become like Him. That's what discipleship is all about. And that's what it means to grow in our walk with God. So this morning, instead of, and y'all can thank me for this, I'm not going to preach about every king in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And everybody said, hallelujah. But I am going to take and I'm going to compare 
just briefly this morning, the tale of two kings this morning. And I believe that we as Christians can gain something. We can glean something from their stories. The two kings that I want to look at this morning are Saul and David. Saul and David. Keep in mind that that as we go through life, there's things that we can make choices about, and those choices will cost us, and there's other ways that we can respond, even when we fail, that can actually keep us in relationship with God. And when we look at these lives, as we compare the lives of Saul and David, I think we'll glean that. I think we'll come out with that this morning, of understanding and what we can apply into our life and help us in our Christian walk. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank You. We thank You for the time, Lord, that You've been visiting us here in the service this morning. And Lord, we know that when it comes to the preaching of the Word, it's no different, Father, that You will come. Lord, that You're in this room and that the anointing is here. And Lord, I pray today now for the unction, Lord, to come, that I can share the Word that You put upon my heart. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will receive it, God, and that we will be stronger and we will grow in Your Word this morning in Jesus' name. When I think about comparing this, the first thing I want to bring up is both were chosen by God in their humility. When you look at both of David and Saul, you'll find that they were chosen by God in their humility. We find that Saul was a servant of his father looking for some lost donkeys. If you know the story, if you've read it, you know that there were some lost donkeys that belonged to Saul's dad, and he sent him and his servant out to find those donkeys and try to come up with them and where they're at. So we find Saul at that particular moment, he was not a leader of men. Matter of fact, he had not accomplished a whole lot of anything in his life yet. He was still being told by dad what to do. And he was working for dad and he was serving his dad. He was in a very humble state. He was doing what his father had asked him to do. Now Samuel makes this statement about Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 17 It says, so Samuel said, when you were a little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? Now listen to what Samuel's saying about Saul. When Saul first began his walk with God, when Saul first began his journey with God, Samuel is saying, were you not little in your own eyes? How many know what little in your own eyes mean that you have a humble spirit, a humble heart, and you don't see yourself as anybody particularly famous or anybody of importance? And Samuel says to Saul, were you not humble, is what he's saying, when you started your walk with God? Having that humble spirit about him speaks of his humility. David was the least of his brethren. We all know the story of David and and Samuel went to anoint the new king and he ushered Jesse's boys all in front of him and God didn't choose any of them. And and, And Samuel says, is there one more? Do you have any more? And he says, oh yeah, I got David. He's out attending the flock. He's kind of a Rudy looking boy and not bad looking, but you know, he hasn't you know, we don't put a whole lot in him right at the moment because of his statue and his age. He was approximately 15 years old when he was anointed king. Right around that age group. So we know that when David began, he was in a state of humility. He was humble in his, in his walk with God. We find that David was not yet anyway, by any means puffed up but he was in a humble state. He was literally nobody at this time. 
But listen to what the Lord said. And I think this is important because sometimes we forget this in our walk. Sometimes we forget the Lord is still doing this. He says, 1 Samuel 16, 7, he told, Saul, or he told Samuel this. He says, do not look at the appearance of his physical stature because I have refused him. Talking about one of the ones that Samuel thought should be king. For the Lord does not see a man, see, does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, we were teaching this morning in Sunday school class that you know God knows our thoughts, He knows our everything about us, and then sometimes we think that He don't know anything about us. I'm going to tell you today, God knows where our heart is. He knows what's going on in our heart. He knows what our thoughts are. Boy, that's just kind of, that kind of makes you think a little bit when you start thinking about how much He knows about you. I mean, you know, He knows if you are a prideful person. He knows if I'm a prideful person. And He knows if I'm a humble person. And He says, I'm looking for, He says, listen, this guy you think is, should be king, he's not going to be king because I look at the heart of man. And David came up and God chose him. He says, he's the one why? Because his heart is humble. His heart is humble. Humility is where they both started. You know, can I tell you this morning, we are chosen in humility. We're chosen in humility. The Word of God says many are called, but few are chosen. And when we're chosen to be part of the family of God, when we're chosen to be part of God's network, part of His kingdom, we are chosen in humility. We're chosen in that moment that we bow our knees and we humble ourselves before God and we say, Lord, I am nothing but a sinner. I have nothing of value to bring to this table, but by Your grace I am saved. Hallelujah. And Jesus touches our heart. And by humility we start our walk none other than the same way that Saul and David started that special relationship with God. You and I start a special relationship with God in humility. It is a must when it comes to opening up that relationship in a way that's so private with God is that we have a humble spirit. A humble spirit. James 4, 8, and 10. Oliver said, you got 35 slides this morning, Pastor. That's what happens when you're going on vacation. Why don't you go catch the last part of that? It says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble, your, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And let's, listen to what it says. And He will lift you up. And He will lift you up. So they both started their walk in their humility toward God. We start our walk that same way. The next thing that I will point out is both experienced an impartation of the Holy Spirit that set them apart for the Lord. Both of them experienced an impartation. But pastor, the, the Spirit has not been given. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find the Holy Ghost came upon many people in the Old Testament. The, the Holy Spirit consumed, I mean, literally gave them power in the Old Testament. Most beautiful about the day that we live in, all of us can have the impartation of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. We are in that moment that we can all have the Spirit of God. And so these two had an impartation of the Spirit of God upon them. Now that's an amazing thing. We read the Holy Spirit came upon Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 10, and then upon David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 3. The Holy Spirit had an effect 
with both kings. Come on. If you really have had an experience with the Holy Spirit, He's going to affect who you are. And the Holy Spirit came up on both of these kings and it had an effect on them. It stirred and changed who they are. Listen, there are more details of what happened when, when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul than there was when the Holy Spirit came upon David. But the details are pretty amazing if you take time to read them. In 1 Samuel 10.6, listen to what it said. Samuel is talking to Saul. He says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You will be turned into another man. You will be turned into another woman. You will be turned into somebody different than you are now. Think about this is Old Testament stuff. This is Old Testament. But when the Spirit of God came upon Saul, Samuel said, you will be turned into another man. Come on, we're missing that today a lot in the church today. Oh, you get the Spirit. Be like you want to be. I'm going to tell you today, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you are turned into another person. It's time it's preached again. It's time it's taught again that we are not to be like we used to be, but we are to be somebody else. In that moment that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, listen to what happened. So in verse, in verse 9, it says, So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. Wow. Another heart. You Don't tell me God can't change somebody. Because God can. God can, when we talk about a heart, you know, I'd love to have a new fleshly heart in here so it would pump and we'd get rid of all those stents I got. But I'm going to tell you what the heart's talking about. It's talking about the soul of that person. It's talking about his motives, the things he thinks, the things he does. And he, God put a new heart in Saul. Come on today, that, it, it's the same way when we look at it. Now, we don't have as much about what happened with David at that moment that the Spirit, but I, I, I tell you what, we can think nothing the less of what happened at David than what happened with Saul because David experienced the same thing. Even though it, though it does not say it, the experience was there. Because that's what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon a person. We can be sure. Listen, there was a transformation and an empowerment that took place in both of these kings when the Holy Ghost came upon them. I love that word, transformation. Amen? Transformation. Does this not sound familiar when it comes to you and I? Does it not sound familiar when it comes to you and I? Come on, have you ever told somebody or someone comes up to you and say, well, you're not the person I used to know. Come on, how many of you went up to somebody in your past that knew you when you were a sinner and they say, what happened to you? Come on, I'm going to tell you that's not a bad thing because something happened with you when you got to the altar of Jesus Christ and you gave your life to the Lord and the Holy Ghost came in you and it changed who you was. It changed your heart. It changed the way you think. Hallelujah. And it made you the child of God that He wanted you to be. Praise be to God that transformation takes place. I'm going to tell you He's still transferring me every day or transforming me every day because there's a little bit just a little bit of stuff left to work on me. 
My wife was his. <laughs> but it's the ideal of this. Get this in our mind. When the Spirit comes, He comes to transform. He comes to change. Paul preaches, he says, no longer be transformed. Or, or no more be part of this world, but be transformed. Come on, the thought is still in the midst of our Christian walk today that we never get through being transformed in who God wants us to be. That transformation. It's always there. And believe me, even in the church, you get an opportunity. Hallelujah. Listen, 2 Corinthians says that I hear it all the time with Life Challenge. I've said it a few uh, weeks back, but therefore if anyone in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Come on, Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit just as we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit today that God can transform us and make us into new people. Both of them had experienced it. This brought them into a special relationship with God for His service. I'm going to tell you who's special to God is God's people. We have a special mission that He's given us. We have a special purpose. We have a special home made. We have a special anointing. We have a special message. Our message is not what the world has. Our message is what the Word of God says. It's not some let's water it down. It's what God says. That's our, that's our message. We are special people to God. Matter of fact, the Bible says we are peculiar. And that is not a bad thing. That's not when I hear the word peculiar, I think about a pocket protector with pins and, and your, your pants up to here. And, but that's the style nowadays, anyhow. But I, I'm just saying, <laughs> a peculiar people. I look at some people in the mall and go, You are peculiar. But that's not what it's talking about today. It says that we're, we're a little different because we are marching to the beat of a different drummer. Amen? That we march to the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of the living God is in us. And we are peculiar because our God, our Father, is the Creator of all things. And He has called us to be separated from this world. We should look peculiar. Amen? And we are called to a holy priesthood. All this, why? Because the Spirit of God has came upon us. And we are living in the Spirit. Listen, now the message takes a turn. Both of them were right here. Both of them have experienced the same experience. They both had the Spirit come upon them. A transformation has taken place. A new heart's been given. Both of them are just like it is when you and I get saved. But both succumb to sin in their lives. Now it gets quiet. Both succumb to sin in their lives. The word succumb means you, it wasn't something that happened overnight. It was something that was gradual. It doesn't mean, well, they both fell all instantly, but it, they succumbed to sin in their life. It was a journey to that point. It was a journey. Get, you know, let me, let me make this statement this morning. An impartation of the Holy Ghost in, it, it, in itself does not keep us from being able to sin. Come on, impartation of the Holy Ghost in itself does not keep us from being able to sin. And sometimes we think, well, I've got this thing in me, I can't sin. I disagree with you because the Word of God shows that we can still sin even though we have been saved. 
Even though we've tasted, even though we've had the impartation of the Holy Ghost, every Christian has the possibility of sinning. But when we talk about the word succumbed, let me, let me just give you a little description in the Bible about it, how it is described in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, where it says this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Temptation, we're, not, we're tempted because of something in us tempts us, something that we almost lean toward it. We almost like it and it's tempted. I'm going to tell you something. You know, since they told me that I was a diabetic back in October of last year, I, you know, I'm tempted to eat just about every sweet thing there is. Temptation comes from something within. It doesn't come from God. It comes from something in here that we have not dealt with in a proper way. And when temptation comes, it's an opportunity to deal with it. And to get over it. But listen to what it says. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, that means it is no longer just a temptation. Now it is, is, it's been conceived and it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, brings forth death. That is a description of this succumbing unto sin. The whole process of it. The way it happens. How it takes place. It isn't just like you, I'm going to say, something's been going on when you get there. And both of these had that issue. The sin that he, that Saul succumbed to, and, and, and if you studied his life, you could probably see it as the process took place. Saul dis disobeyed the Lord in rebellion and justified his actions. <clears throat> Saul did this, and, and, and this isn't the first time when, 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 when Samuel called him on the carpet, he had already, he'd already offered sacrifices that Samuel should have been offering before this last time. There was something that was going on in Saul's life. He was a good king for about a year when it came to serving God. And after he got comfortable serving God, he started to get his mind on what the people said, also upon the power that was granted, also on the praise of the men and the women that were around him, you don't think I'm right? Well, listen to me just for a second. What made him so jealous is people were praising David more than him. Come on, he went after David because they said, hey, he's killed his ten thousands and Saul's killed his thousands. There was something about the praise of men that was getting into Saul's spirit and it was all about him. It's almost a Nebuchadnezzar type attitude before the Lord. We find in 1 Samuel 15 18, it says this, Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now listen, Saul was lured in by success, praise of the people, and even love of self and love of power. Those things don't jive in a relationship with God. Somewhere in this long journey, he had became a person. And, and you know what gets me about this? Listen, the Spirit of God is still on him. The Spirit of God is still in him. It's still there. Even though he hadn't been made a new man, he was making choices in his life 
that were slowly working against him in his relationship with God. Let me remember the story of Samson. You know, Samson just didn't wake up one day because his haircut was bad like mine. He didn't just wake up and lose his power, but study the life of Samson. He was making compromise after compromise after compromise. He touched that which was dead. Remember the honey and the lion? He wasn't supposed to touch anything that was dead. There was a lot of compromises in, in, Samuel, or in, in Samson's life. Saul had been making compromise. I'm going to tell you today, when we find ourselves in a position that we have totally failed and all that, we can really make a track back and understand and see where things started to go south in our life. One compromise after the other, and then all of a sudden we have been, we are like a mouse in a mouse trap and we are caught. I'm just preaching it how it is this morning and how it takes place in our lives. And this is what happened to Saul. It's no different for David. David committed adultery, manipulation, and murder. Wow! That would land him 60 to 80 in America today. We find his sin is listed in 2 Samuel chapter 11. He saw Bathsheba. He lusted for her. He slept with her. She became pregnant. He called Uriah from the battle to get him to sleep with Bathsheba to cover up. It almost sounds like a Hollywood soap opera. Right? I think they got the script. And finally, he plotted to take Uriah's life, even though he did not use the sword himself. He planned it out, and he is seen as God as a murderer. I'm going to tell you, that didn't happen in David's life overnight. David was, he was slack in his relationship with God. He had to be backslidden to do what he did. He was in, the, in, his, in his house in the middle of the afternoon when he should have been out fighting the battle and he came up on a balcony and the devil took advantage of the situation. And he fell that day in a tremendous way. He succumbed to the sin of all these that I mentioned. See, we're not beyond the same thing in our life. We're not beyond succumbing to sin, to sinning. 1 John 1.10 says this, if, ye, if we say that we have no sin, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. You know how many perfect people I've met? Zero. You know how many perfect Christians I've met? I have met zero. I look in the mirror in the morning and I say, you, I don't say this, but I can see I'm imperfect in, in many ways. But here's the truth of it. Is we all have that possibility to succumb to sin. None of us are got so much armor on us that we can't fall if we're not careful. Listen, I believe that you can live your life in, a, in such a way, but you have to continually work out you have to continue to pray. You have to continually come before the Lord. You have to continually to pray in the Holy Spirit. You have to continually seek God. Because when we get to that point, listen, the devil seen David in his slackness, in his relationship with God, in the temptation that he knew he would fall to, he presented before him. And sure enough, David went into that temptation. I'm saying today, yes, we can live in a way that would honor God, but if we don't take care of our relationship, we will find ourselves succumbing to sin in our life. Because that's the way things happen. You want to know how great evangelist falls? I'll guarantee you, you can check their prayer life. You can check their devotion life. 
and you can see that more time was granted unto the ministry than more than unto God. This is those things that we don't quite understand. See, you can be born again and still fall into sin. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and still fall in sin. You can, pre- you can be a preacher, a teacher, and a soul reacher and still fall into sin. You can be saved a day, a week, a year, and decades and still fall into sin. All of us can still fall into sin if we're not careful. And this is how we succumb to, come to sin. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.12, says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Take heed. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual, you are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know what that says to me? That we can all, if we're not careful, succumb to sin in our lives. You know, the Word of God has an amazing thing to say this to when we see another brother. He says, Judge not, for in the same Latin same like manner, you also shall be judged. That's a careful thing to judge those that have failed in their relationship with God because sometimes I've seen it many times where people are going through the exact same thing they judged another person over. Where do you get that? That's called what the Word of God says. As a principle. Just like reaping and sowing, it's a principle. Just like giving and, and sowing, you're going to reap back what you give. And here in our Word, it it speaks of this thing in our life. I'm not trying to discourage you this morning, but I'm trying to say that we can learn from these kings what caused this great man David, what caused Saul, who started out with the Spirit of God upon them. How did they succumb to sin? Somewhere in there, they had a big gap in their devotion in relationship with God that caused the issue. Somewhere in there, we let things go south in what we were doing. And all of us can be at that moment. I'll guarantee you there's some preachers that would say, I never thought I'd be one. But they did. They succumbed to sin in their life. Last thing. Both responded to the revelation of their sins. Both of them responded to the revelation. When they found out, the whole word of revelation means when it, it, it's almost like this dra- a drama type thing came in it, the emphasis of what you now understand that you, you did. is a revelation of it. It's like it's been, it's been hidden, but now it is revealed on surface. And both of them responded when they were called on the carpet. Now Samuel called Saul on the carpet, and Nathan called David on the carpet. And both were revealed of what God's thoughts was on what their their life was doing. Now listen, it's almost like a Cain and Abel story. Cain's offering was not accepted and Abel's was. You know, again, I express God knows, knows the heart. Saul's confession when we look at what happened in Saul's life and the story of him, his confession was insincere without repentance toward God. Come on. He he messed up. He was disobedient. He was a rebellion against God. And 
and he didn't want to do it. He was more about what life was all about than what God was all about. Listen to 1 Samuel 15, 24 and 25. It says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I fear the people and obey their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Listen, that sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like he's really sincere. But the Lord knows the heart. And, and then Samuel says this. See, Saul doesn't get serious until Samuel tells him he has lost the kingdom in, in 1526. Which is, and, and that's quite common. As long as I can just say a little prayer and get my sins confessed and before the Lord, that's fine. But when I start to lose everything I got in my life, then we get serious about confession before the Lord. And that's what Saul was doing. He wasn't, he wasn't serious until Saul says, until, until Samuel says, hey, God has took the kingdom from you. You'll no longer rule in this deal. And that hits Saul where it hurt. And then Saul gets serious about his confession toward the Lord or toward Samuel. And he says, don't do that. You know what that says? His kingdom and the things of this world were way more important than the right relationship with God. Saul started making an excuse. He says, well, the people made me do this. I've done it because I feared the people. He had every excuse except for owning what he had done. But yet he says the right words. Can I tell you something this morning? You can say the right words, but God looks at the heart that's saying the words. We teach everybody, hey, say the sinner's prayer. But you know, the sinner's prayer is not good unless there's a humbleness that's taking place within us. God looks at the heart and He looked at the hearts of Saul. He looked at the heart of Cain. Even though he offered a good offering, he says, this will not work. And so Samuel says this to him. So listen to what Saul says. 1 Samuel 15.30 Then he says, because this reveals... Why what happened to Saul? Why it happened the way it did? Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me. Listen, he is still... This is, after, this is after Samuel said, you're losing the kingdom. And he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please. Before the elders of my people and before Israel. Return with me. You know what that's all about? It's still all about Saul and what people think of Saul. It's about Saul's status. It's about him being king. And he knows if Samuel will be at the right inside, he'll know the people says God has still put His hand upon on Saul's kingdom. He's still about Saul. He's not repenting. And listen to what he says. I often find this. It says in my, and that I may worship the Lord your God. Come on, you catch that little word? He says that I may worship the Lord your God. What would happen? You see, not one time did he repent toward God as his God. He says, let me come and worship your God. I'm going to tell you, ownership in our words says a volume about who it is that we're talking to. You know, when I say it's my church, guess what? It's my church. Not that I own the church, but this is the church I go to. When people say, well, how's your church going over there? You know what that says to me? They're not going to be here much longer. I have heard it. And when Saul says, hey, we can come and worship your God, he's already made his mind up that he is not. the things of this world are more important to him than the things of God. And he says, let me come with you and we'll worship your God. 
This is the same man that had the Spirit of God imparted to him. And yet he's not in a relationship with God at that time. Got to hurry. In every way, the confession of Saul is weak and inadequate. He seeks forgiveness, but not from the Lord. He looks to the prophet of God, not to the Lord Himself. Come on, I'm going to tell you something. You know, when we sin, and I'll get to that here in just a minute, it's before God. It's before Him. This type of repentance cost Saul his appointment, and even the Spirit of God left him. The Spirit of God left him. The one that had made him the new man now vacated and Saul is back on his own. And guess what? The Bible says the Lord sent a spirit that would trouble him. And if you look at the life of Saul after that, his decisions were not made, thus saith the Lord. He killed the prophets of God. He went after an anointed of God. And from that moment on, his decisions in life started to be fleshly and also evil. He was a different man from that moment on. Just like he was a different man when the Spirit came upon him, now he's a different man when the Spirit left him. But not only different now, but now he's being tormented by an evil spirit and he's responding like an evil man. Why? Because his repentance was not genuine. You, I believe with my heart, if he would have repented properly, God would have kept him in position. How do I know that? Because I was reading another story about Manasseh. Manasseh was a terrible king. Man, he went into the temple and he, he desecrated it. He did all kinds of things and God had some king come and take him off and in the midst of that, he repented and humbled himself. The Bible says he humbled himself before God and God restored him. I'm saying today, God is a merciful God no matter what you've done. God, if you come before Him in a humble spirit, He can bring rest- restoration in your life. He can bring blessing back into your life because that's how God operates. God operates. In such a way. David, on the other hand, I love David. How many of you want to see David when you get to heaven? It's going to be a wonderful thing, right? I want to see Jesus first, then I got a list. David, on the other hand, listen, what he did, murder, called for death. The whole things, adultery, called for death. All these things call for death. But listen how David responded. See, David, on the other hand, confesses and repents sincerely. It's not like David got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. David was sorry that he caught his hand in the, got his hand caught in the jury in the candy store or candy jar. We'll get it right here in a minute. Here it goes. Okay. But at the same time, he was not only that, but he knew who owned. The candy jar. Candy cookie, we'll get it. Listen to what he says. You want to know how he, how he repented? Because we know the story. Nathan came to him and he used an illustration about a man that had one little sheep. And, 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 and David says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kill that man. I'll do this. And, and Nathan puts his big old finger at him and says, you're the man. Talk about a revelation. What's David do? Now you don't hear a whole lot about what David said in confession in Samuel, the book of Samuel. But if you turn to Psalms 51, Psalms 51 is what he spoke of 
in his repentance unto God. I just want to, I just want to share a little bit of that. I'm not going to read all of it. But the first thing he starts out with, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. David knows what he's did requires the death penalty. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. And then verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me, cleanse me from whose? The people that made me do it? No. He says, from my iniquity. He owned it. How many of you know that when you go to apologize to someone, you say, well, if I offended you, you wasted your breath. When you go to them and say, I offended you, that really has a whole different meaning when that takes place. He says, my sin. And then he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. He owns them and acknowledges them. And then he says against this, not, uh, he says against you only have I sinned. Listen, Saul never mentioned against God. David says against you I have sinned. In other words, David knows the most important relationship in his life is God, is the Lord. And I tell you this morning, the most important relationship that we have as Christians is God. There's not a any other, if I'm, if I'm going to be concerned about who thinks what, the most I must think about God in my life. What does God think about this? What does God think about? I know others will have an opinion, but God has the correct opinion. And He says this, all the way down in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. He says, God, I acknowledge, I owe my equity. I don't want it in here, God. Created me a new heart. Purge me, wash me from this sin. And then he says, do not cast me. Let me finish that 10. It says, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me know David has tasted of the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of God is way more important to me than anything on this earth. He says, renew a steadfast spirit. And do not cast me from your presence. And do not take the Holy Spirit from me. He put value on God's Spirit dwelling in Him, folks. And sometimes we take it for granted of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. The Creator of all things dwells inside of us. And He says, do not take your Spirit from me. David said, please. And I love this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Oliver, if you guys will come this morning and uphold me by your generous spirit. The joy of your salvation. Restore to me that joy. How many remember the joy of your salvation? That moment Jesus came in and just washed our sins away. And I tell you, when we succumb to sin, we lose that joy, that feeling at that moment. And it's something that we need to grab a hold of. I've, I've walked this journey for a while. And there's been times in my life I said, God, restore what I found that night at that altar. Restore that to me. Let my, let my thoughts be like those thoughts. Give me the power that you put in me that day. Because I'm going to tell you, along your journey, you can pick up some, oh, some attitude. Right? You can pick up some unforgiveness. and Not that you hate that person, but you just don't like that person no more. And I'm going to tell you something. What I found when I got saved, I loved everybody for three hours. 
No, I loved Him for a lot longer than that. Because God's Spirit came upon me. He made me a new man. Hallelujah. And I ask you today, do you still have the joy of your salvation? Do you still have that innocence about your new birth? It makes you love that one that treated to you so bad, but you love him. David says, God, I sinned against you and you alone. God, the most important thing in my life is you. You, and, and forgive me of my iniquity, I own it, but God, do not take your spirit from me. But God, would you please restore the joy of that salvation back into my life? Because see, folks, there's nothing better than that. It doesn't matter how much money we gain or anything like that. The joy of salvation is a wonderful thing. And what I spoke of, we got two kings. Both of them started out like we did in our relationship, but both succumbed to sin. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you have succumbed to sin in your life. And you're saying, Pastor, this morning, I'm wanting to get where I need to be. I want to get it back where it needs to be. I want to get my heart with that joy to flood over in my life again. I want to let that red river run in my life once again and that Holy Ghost to come down in a mighty way that sets me free. Sets me free. See, I started out saying we can learn. Proverbs says, the wise will hear and get wiser. And we can take a message like this and we can be caught in that situation but we can be wiser when we leave this place this morning by seeing this tale of two kings. Every head bowed just for a moment. I'm not going to keep you much longer. Who would say, Pastor, this morning, I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but I've heard enough this morning that I want Him for my Savior. I want that joy of salvation this morning. I say to you, if that's you this morning, all you need to do is realize that you were born into a sinful life just like the rest of us. And that Jesus came and died upon the cross of Calvary to take your sin upon His back. And, and by His blood, we can be washed and cleansed completely. If you need the Lord as your Savior this morning, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I need to get saved this morning. Who would say this morning, Pastor, I'm struggling. I've been struggling in temptation and and I need to get back where God would have me to be. I want that joy of that salvation this morning. I want to repent and confess as David had. I want that in my life this morning. I want to experience it once again without the guilt and the shame that I feel now. And I want that experience in my life once again. i got news for you. The Lord is willing. 